Well, hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of Husky Brain Bites. We're speaking with Devin Griggs, Pavi Rajeshwaran, and Asad Beck about their path to grad school, in particular, applying to grad school and deciding on their current PhD programs. So Devin, Pavi, and Asad, could the three of you introduce yourselves, tell us what department, year, and lab that you're in, and then talk a little bit on a high level um, about your research interests. Devin, do you want to go ahead? Sure. Thanks so much, Danishka. I'm from the Electrical and Computer Engineering Department, and I'm a fourth-year graduate student in the lab of Professor Azada Yasan Shamarad, a neuroengineering lab. High level, my specific interest is developing large-scale cortical interfaces to the brain so that we can learn more about the brain and hopefully develop stimulation-based therapies for neurological disorders such as stroke. In a sentence or two, that's what I do. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Pavi? Hi, everyone. Excited to be here. My name is Pavi. I am a third-year PhD student at the Department of Bioengineering. And I'm currently at the Osborne Lab, which specializes in brain-computer interfaces and closed-loop decoder adaptation. So my interest in grad school is to use BCIs as a tool to study learning and how sleep helps with learning. That's great. Thank you. And Asad. Yeah, thanks for having me. So I'm Asad. I'm currently a fourth year in the neuroscience graduate program here at University of Washington. And I'm in the lab of Horacio de la Iglesia, which is a circadian rhythms lab. But what I do is more focused on epilepsy, particularly forecasting seizure onset. So the goal of my project is to figure out when the seizure might happen and then sort of alert the individual who suffers from epilepsy to, you know, if they might be having a seizure soon. Great. Well, thank you. Um, and we're really excited that we're able to span electrical and computer engineering, bioengineering and neuroscience and then quite the breadth of research here. So I was wondering if we could go through and each one of you could talk about how you decided to apply to a PhD in the first place. And also, if you're comfortable sharing, how many times did you apply? Sure, I'd be happy to go first. Thanks, Devin. My undergraduate degree was in electrical engineering at the University of Portland in Oregon. And once I got into my senior year, I started realizing that the stuff I was learning was really cool. But I figured that out too late to apply straight into graduate school. So I got a job at the Boeing Company in Everett, Washington. While I was there, I applied to graduate school and I applied to UC Berkeley, Stanford, and University of Washington. I got denied to all three and that really sucked. That was really hard for me. But I found out that the University of Washington Bothell campus had a master's program for electrical engineering. So I applied to that and I was accepted there and I did full-time work at Boeing and part-time school for a master's program to gain some research experience, which seemed to be really important for graduate school. I didn't know this as an undergrad, but I learned that having some research experience was really helpful for applying. Once my thesis was about to wrap up, I tried applying again. This time I only applied to the University of Washington because I really liked a girl who lived near University of Washington, and she wasn't going to move somewhere else. And I was accepted. About a year later, I got married to that girl. So all, all that ended up pretty well. It's <laughs> great. Um, Pavi, what about you? Well, uh, I kind of took a longer route to grad school. 
uh, my undergrad is in biomedical engineering but in india i really liked coding so i went to work for ibm for a couple of years and then i figured out i wanted to come back doing bioengineering so came to us for a masters degree again worked for a few years paid off my education loans and stuff but i was working as a research engineer and my work was on surgical robotics virtual reality and things like that i really thought using virtual reality to study how the environment changes things for you in the brain would be a cool topic and that's why i actually applied to grad school and i also got married in between i applied to seven places and got four admit out of seven but took a lot of money so i was really careful on like which colleges to apply and seven was really like the max i could do the rotation program in udup convinced me to come here because i was not sure neuroengineering which includes a lot of like working with human subjects or animal subjects would be a thing that i can do so i really used the rotation program to figure out if i can work with animals so yeah that's pretty much why i chose udup and things worked out well for me again it's great yeah yeah um yeah and it's both of you are sort of solving that two body problem that comes about <laughs> Asan, what about you? I realized listening to Devin and Pavi that I probably have the shortest path to grad school. <laughs> um, so I got interested in actually neural engineering research back towards the end of high school. But then I went to undergrad in San Diego State University, got my major in psychology. But as I was doing so, I realized early on that I probably needed some research experience. So I got pretty lucky and I was able to get into a, a research program that focused on low-income uh, underrepresented students, getting them into research. I did that program for three years and part of the stipulation was that I had to apply to grad schools like across the country. Mm-hmm. Come my third year, I'm applying to grad schools. My program director wanted me to apply to like 15, but I really wanted to take a year off, so I only did six. Uh, one of which was the University of Washington. Lo and behold, I happened to get into University of Washington, which was my top choice because, you know, all the neuroengineering resources to do here. So I got in and I figured, well, I can't take a year off now. So <laughs> it's been, you know, three years now, it's been pretty good. That's great. And do you mind sharing the name of that program that was sort of the, the three-year program? Yeah, so the name of that program was advancing diversity in aging research. Um, so it's aimed at like getting underrepresented students to like do research on various topics related to aging. That's really cool. I had never heard of that before. Um, and Asad, maybe you can also share, well, we'll go through everyone else again. Um, why, why was UW your top program and um, why do you decide the lab that um, you're, you're currently in? UW was my top program because they have this really big focus on neural engineering. I didn't really see elsewhere this sort of marriage between computer science and neuroscience. And they're very much sort of closely knit here at UW, where I didn't really see this elsewhere. And also just, you know, I really want to come up here to the Pacific Northwest after living in the desert my whole life. It's just, it's just a nicer environment, honestly. So the reason I joined my lab is because um, this lab focuses on mice. But because of my project, I get to work with both, both data from mice and from humans. There's this really important translational part to my research that I think is really important because the research I did as an undergraduate was uh, human-focused, and I really want to make sure that um, focus on the human aspect of research so that stays with me. Yeah. 
Um, and Pavi, you had mentioned the rotation program. Was that sort of the main motivator for you for UW um, and also you know, the, the lab that you're working with? Uh, yeah, the rotation program definitely like put UW as my top choice because, you know, animal work and all this kind of and, especially having. Actually, yeah. yeah, sorry to interrupt. Um, could you explain the rotation program for anyone who hadn't really heard of it before? Oh, yeah. So BioE actually funds uh, the first two quarters for all the PhD students. And you can choose to work with any advisor like within the department or outside the department with that funding to figure out if the lab and the advisor would be a good fit for your PhD. I really, really liked it because it kind of gives you an option to understand what you're signing up for. Neuroengineering was something different than what I was working on before. I did have a lot of translational skills, but I have not done this particularly before. So it was a good way for me to like understand, okay, how does it feel and where do I fit and how can I handle this? So rotation program definitely placed UW as my top choice, but I also rotated with two amazing female faculty, Professor Amy Arswan and Professor Azadeh Yazdan. It was a difficult choice to choose the lab at the end of the day. I kind of made a deal with Amy and Asa, they both saying, I will find a collaborative work. Eventually, my project will go in the direction of BCIs for stroke, where I would be kind of getting mentorship from Professor Yastan as well. That kind of worked out really well. That sounds great. And, and Devin, you'd mentioned sort of a key reason that you wanted to stay in Seattle and at UW. Um, how do you end up deciding on the lab that you're currently in? Thanks for asking. I like electrical engineering. I'm proud that I'm an electrical engineer, but I realized that I didn't want to get stuck designing circuits on a chip that were too small for me to see. The people that do that, I, I know some of them and I really appreciate them and their great work. <laughs> it's not something that I wanted to end up doing personally though. So in looking around at the different opportunities, Azadeh Yasun's lab, sounded like a solid mix between the engineering side, but then also getting to do some of the hands-on in the lab, collecting data from animal subjects. It's, it seemed like a good option. So I reached out to Azadeh. I think that I had a leg up in some ways because she was a new professor here. So she probably wasn't getting a whole lot of people reaching out to try to join her lab. Since I lived in the area and worked in the area, I capitalized on it and I felt like I was professor dating for multiple months, <laughs> showing up to her office and trying to convince her that I'm, I'm going to be a great person to work in her lab and that I'm so excited about being part of her lab and following up and dressing nicely. <laughs> yeah, it, it felt like I was dating a professor for a while. And then finally, she said, all right, I want to admit you but you have to promise me you'll come to my lab and not to somebody else's lab. And that was fine with me because her lab was the key lab that I wanted to join anyway. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I think that um, gets at this question about how you boosted your application and, and kind of got in. So I kind of want to ask everyone, how, how did you guys boost your application? Were there certain things that you like experiences that you went looking for or um, I don't know, people that you talked to? What, what were your processes to boost your application? My application boosting, you said, what were you looking for? It's more, what was I forced into? Because keep in mind, I'd applied to three different places and been turned down from all three. So I was in a master's program to try to get some further education and some research experience. And I'm working full-time at the Boeing company. 
So when I apply, I think that one of the reasons why my application rose, I don't want to say to the top, but at least towards the top was because I had three or four years of industry experience as an engineer. I think that stood out. I was pursuing a master's degree. That made a difference there too. And then with the research experience on top of it that I was gaining in my lab at my master's institution, I think that really helped. Now, what ties it off on top, though, is the professor I was working for in that master's thesis lab, he liked me and was willing to push me forward and was willing to advocate for me and was willing to talk on the phone with my, the professor I wanted to be with and say, yeah, Devin is somebody that you want in your lab, and these are the reasons why. So with all those things working for me, that was able to get my application towards the top. Yeah, I think having an advocate for you is, is definitely a really important person to have in any aspect of your career at any point in time, but definitely with the graduate application process. Certainly. So mentors are great. Advocates are even better. 100%. Um, Pavi, what did, what do you feel like you did to boost your applications? Really, I think I was publishing a lot because my role had the scope for publications. I got really lucky there, but I also deferred my application by one year. I worked for one extra year and tried to get my research published in IEEE, like standard conferences. Those publications kind of helped me. And the second thing is I had this talk with my advisor. So I told him, like, I'm going to apply for grad school and these are the schools that I'm interested to go. He helped me file a good application in terms of like making me think about which lab do you want to go to? What kind of work do you want to do? What will you do in your first few years? After grad school, what do you want to do? Thinking about those questions helped me really write my essays with more clarity. And having that clarity would really like set you up to file a good application. Having publications on top of it is good, but not expected as an undergrad. You're not expected to have a first author publication, but if you can help a grad student in the lab uh, to write a paper or with some research work and you end up having a publication with a second or third authorship, that's great. But at the end of the day, I think you have to be able to talk about the research work that you did in a research perspective. Like you think about this, the question I answered, and this is how I answered the question and things like that. So my advisor really like helped me think in, in, on those lines. And I think that uh, thought process also reflected in my uh, personal statement. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, I bet that was very helpful to have somebody who's on the other side who can tell you kind of the things that they're looking for in, in the story. Um, Asad, I'm going to hand it over to you. What do you think you did to boost your application? Still on the topic of my undergrad research program, the director of the program knew the whole process of applying to graduate schools, what people expect, what the whole process looks like, how you should stretch your, your entire application. She was like, yeah, exactly like an advocate in essence. She made sure that her students got into graduate programs. So having someone like that who knows the whole process, you know, really helped me get into grad school. Another thing that I think helped my application was being in a lab for like three years, basically. It kind of showed that not only was I able to stick with a lab for a good amount of time, but as a result, I wound up getting more and more responsibility in the lab. And I think that kind of showed like my potential program that I can actually do stuff in lab on my own. And I think the third thing that comes to mind is sort of tailoring what classes I took to the sort of 
research I want to do. For contents, so I majored in psychology. They, they didn't have a neuroscience program where I went as an undergrad. I also minored in philosophy and English, and I also took uh, computer science classes and like killing classes and things like that. So kind of showing them like, even though I was not acquainted with neuroengineering research at all, I could pick it up. It just kind of gave me a chance, which, you know, they did, hooray. Yeah, yeah, I think that's very important, like finding the opportunities that are available to you that can kind of help you move towards the research you want to get into. Um, so I'm curious if you guys have any tips about the application process, maybe any, any hints of advice on how to apply or things like that. I have one, start early, give yourself plenty of time and um, talk to people about it, like ask your mentors, grad students in lab, even some random person to like, hey, I'm applying to this school. Do you know anyone? Do you know students in that lab or even faculty in the lab? Would uh, one of you mind talking about the application process in general? Like what most schools ask for? What, what are the steps? I can give a shot. They'll ask for the usual things like for your transcripts. And then they start getting into some of the essay questions. What is your interest? What is your research interest? And why are you a good fit? And then there's a second essay usually, which is called a personal statement. I admit it was a little weird to try to differentiate my personal statement from my research interest because it seems like that they're fairly well intertwined. But a personal statement is probably where you would put things like, please understand that I got a terrible grade in this one class because I got COVID during finals week or those sorts of things or this particular hiccup in your past that you've overcome in this special way, those sorts of things. My aunt is an English teacher, a high school English teacher. So I had her read my applications because she's much better at picking up things like grammatical things and word choice and things like that than I am. And so Asad, I think that your background in English literature, I think that would be a big help in applying to these <laughs> technical degrees. Funny how that works. Yeah, funny that you say that, because <laughs> as you were talking, that's the exact thing that came to mind, that especially for personal statements, you're really just writing a story to the programs, you know, a story about you as a scientist and how you want to grow as one, like what sort of tools you need and like why the program is good for you. It's basically a story, it, you know, it has exposition, it has the bulk of it, it has inclusion. And one thing I wanted to add on, actually, and this is a really good reason why you should start early, is because you're going to also want letters of recommendation from, you know, uh, your PI or whoever else that might be able to put in a good world for you. The reason is to get to start early is first, want to make sure that the person you're asking knows who you are. But the second part is that you want to give them time to really think about all the things that you've done. And in relation to what Devin mentioned, you want to make sure they have time to put down in contest with some of the struggles that you've had and things you've had to overcome. Like these levels have, you know, can be the chance for other people to like think about you as an individual, as an academic, and be like, be a little more frank about sort of the things that you overcome, mm -hmm. essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Great point about the letters of recommendation. And actually question to Devin and Pavi, because um, both of you had worked for a while. Did you have letters of recommendation from the people who you had worked with, like an in industry or or anything like that? Uh, I did. I definitely used my manager as one of my recommenders. 
because he was able to comment on my professional work ethics and how I take responsibilities and stuff. The second letter of recommendation was from my undergrad faculty who mentored my uh, final thesis. Um, but for my PhD application, funnily, all three came from my workplace. Uh, I Okay, this is a secret. I always have four recommenders instead of three because I know one of the recommenders is going to have life happening and miss my deadline. So I'm kind of like over proactive there. Uh, so it was my PI and three other faculty who I actually worked with during my role as a research engineer and not from grad school. So that kind of helped. Yeah, I've heard that advice a lot, actually, to have at least one extra letter writer. Um, Because, right, people, you know, things come up, they miss a deadline. Um, So, yeah, having a backup tends to be helpful. Yeah, especially if you have the fourth recommender, totally, like, ask. I did not ask any of my managers at the Bowen Company to write letters of rec for me. I had enough professors in my master's program that I had good interactions with from the academic side as opposed to an industry side. So I felt it was better to go that route since I had the opportunity to do so. But I totally second copy in the, the be early about things and have a plan B. Could I do a quick go back to the, the essay portions? Yeah, absolutely. I've I've gotten a lot better at it, but going into grad school, I wasn't great at writing wonderful things about myself. I'm not great at writing about how great I am. You need to do it all the time in grad school. But a friend of mine gave me a tip that's been great for me. You write at the top of the page for your whatever your essay is, I'm amazing and you should totally choose me. Then you spend the rest of the page defending that statement. And then once you're done, you go back out and delete that first sentence and write something that's more, more normal, a uh, little bit more humble. But you got to go all out about yourself. And that goes along with the letters of recommendation. Something I've learned in grad school is that sometimes and oftentimes you end up writing your own letters of recommendation. And then you <laughs> give them to the person who's going to submit them and then they make whatever changes they want and they submit them. That could be a tip to get more letters of recommendation and better letters of recommendation. If you ask the professor or whoever is writing them, would you please write the letter of recommendation? If you're interested, I would be happy to send you a draft so that you don't have to do as much work. So you get to steer it and they don't need to do as much work on their end. So I wanted to float out those those two things that might be helpful for, for you all. I have a quick question for the for the personal statement where you write, I am awesome at the top. Have you ever left that statement in? No, in? no, 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 no. Okay, just check it. I'm awesome and you should totally hire me. No, that is, that is a quick way to have your application thrown out. So you do not leave it in, but <laughs> thanks for asking us it's a It's a good reminder though. I mean, it's a good thing to have in the back of your mind. This is, this is the goal. This is what you want to convey to the people reading your application. So after you go through the application process, uh, you get your letter of recommendations, you get all the essays and personal statements written, uh, you're gonna start hearing back from PhD programs and from grad schools. And hopefully, you know, you'll get get into at least one. Um, 
and you'll sort of start talking to your uh, your advisors, your prospective advisors, and you'll go through the professor dating process, as Devin mentioned. What are some questions that you made sure to ask your prospective advisors? How many hours do you expect your student to work each week? It's a great question. Really, the, the answers can vary wildly. I'm now talking with what are called postdoc advisors, and I asked him what the hours were, and he said, well, I used to work uh, really hard, but then I got cancer, so I don't work as hard anymore. He said, I worked 80 hours a week, and then when I got cancer, I toned it down to 60. Okay. And <laughs> when I heard that, I went, uh, just to myself, like, hmm, I'm, I'm not sure if I can be up to the level of the person with cancer, which sounds kind of terrible or harsh to say it that way. But I'm not sure I'd be a good fit in his lab because I asked him that question straight up. Yeah, great question to ask. Um, I actually asked Amy a couple of questions. One is, what is her five-year plan for the lab? Because I'm going to be there for five years if I get in. And she talked to me about some common goals for the lab, the first few experiments she had planned and things like that, that kind of primed me a little better. As an applicant, you don't 100% understand what the lab is doing, and that's completely okay. Even with 10% or 20% understanding, I was interested in her work. I want to make sure, would that scale up? Even if I understand 100% of her work, will I have the same enthusiasm or can I do it? So I asked some simple questions about uh, what kind of experiments do you have planned and what will those results do? What kind of impact will it have? So those kinds of things. And I think professors like to talk about it, especially when you when you ask them the impact of your work, that kind of stuff. So they will, it'll also kind of be an icebreaker to have more nicer conversations. The second question I asked is, I asked two good things and two bad things about UW. So instead of asking positives and negatives, when you like ask them to give two good and two bad things, I was told, they will actually tell you the positives and negatives that they know of. Good tips. And, and yeah, professors do enjoy talking about their research. <laughs> I think, yeah, it's been so long, I can barely remember. One of the questions I asked when I was talking to Horacio, like me being in his lab, I think had to do with what sort of support I would have for being able to like learn about and like apply like signal processing like techniques. Because like I, hadn't studied signal processing at all. And Horacio, like he doesn't really do computer stuff like to this degree that I do. You know, he was pretty frank and open about the fact that I would just have to find like that sort of knowledge elsewhere and that he wouldn't really be able to lend that support, which like knowing that was really good because it sort of solidified in my mind sort of how on top of things I had to be for myself. If I wanted to make sure that my project would go as well as I wanted to. And I was able to do what I wanted to do in lab. Yeah, I also want to add one more thing. I definitely asked about the work culture and how much the faculty will meet with students. Like, will we have one-on-one -on -one meetings once a week or twice a week? Or when I'm getting started in the first two years, what kind of support will I have? Are there postdocs at lab who would help me get started and things like that? Uh, my goal was to convey that 
I have transferable skills, but I need to get trained on things and I need to learn from someone. And who will that someone be? I'd second that. It's been important for me asking, is this the sort of lab that's collaborative? Is this the sort of lab that I will get to learn from the people around me? Textbooks are great. I'm a book smart person, but there's a lot of stuff that you got to learn by talking with other people. Yeah, 100%. The collaborative aspect can be very important. Tied into that, what were some of the factors that were really important in deciding on a particular lab? Devin, for you, it sounds like that collaborative aspect was part of it. I'm curious what you guys felt like was important to you in deciding. Yeah, kind of as I alluded to before, like this, the lab I'm in, Halasio's lab, focuses on animal work, but I really wanted to have that human aspect as well. So one of the really important things for me was being able to work with human data at some point. Part of me joining this lab was being able to collaborate with a different lab on campus who has data from humans with epilepsy. It was really important for me to be able to work in that sort of translational sphere of research um, and like apply what I'm doing in animal models to humans and look to the future of what I want this research project to turn into. To me, it was, I had two great options, as I said, like at the end of my rotation, it was Professor Arsborn or Professor Yastan. I couldn't go wrong with any of those choices. But uh, my deciding factor was end of five years, what do I want to be known for, like after my PhD? And it sided with, I want to know brain, how to conduct brain computer interface experiments. And then I want to apply for soap stroke. So I went to the Arsborn lab because I want to get that sort of expertise. So expertise kind of um, helped me make my decision. This is just like on the technical side of things, right? On the other side, I had really great friends in Yaston lab and Amy's lab was just starting up. I didn't know a lot of people getting in. So if you are totally comfortable in the lab culture and you have friends and it feels like a nourishing environment for you to grow, that's totally a good reason to make a decision for your PhD as well. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for mentioning that. I think, um, the lab culture, as, as Devin has talked about, as Sad has also talked about, like that collaboration lab culture is very important. And it just, it could arguably be as important or more important than the research itself. For some reason in academia, we talk about our academic advisor and then our colleagues. But what we mean by that are our boss and <laughs> our coworkers. So do think, do I want this person to be my boss for the next four to seven years? Are the people here, would I want them to be my coworkers for the next four to seven years? Those are great questions to ask yourself. <laughs> Maybe not them, but yourself. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So once you go through that process, you decide on an advisor, you start looking at your stipends and the funding situation. So could each one of you talk about your funding? Um, how much did funding influence, influence your decision? As an undergrad and then in master's school, as I was trying to prepare for this, I didn't realize that you could get aid to do school. So at the Boeing company, I was saving up a ton of money since I thought that I was going to have to pay not only for housing and whatnot, but also pay for my tuition. Somewhere along the line, I learned that, oh, I, I'm, I'm going to get paid for this. I was just happy that I was going to be getting money with the ECE department that I was applying to, they guarantee funding for their students for the first four years, I think, that they will find a way, whether it's a TA or an RA or something like that. 
my advisor, as I was applying, she argued well to get me two quarters of funding a year for the first four years. That was additional help. Since I'm married and my wife is working and she's gainfully employed, we, we own a condo. That money hasn't had to be a problem for us, which has been very fortunate. And I know that not everybody's in a situation like that. Can I ask you one clarifying question for people who might not know what these acronyms mean? But so when you say TA and RA, like, uh, thank you. What, what are those jobs? TA, what do they mean? That stands for a teaching assistant. And what that usually means is helping some students uh, learn the material and then homework grading and those sorts of things. And RA, that's a research assistant. That means you're doing lab work. And in my case, my research assistantship and my regular work are basically the same thing. So it's really convenient for me that I have an RA rather than a TA so that I can focus on research for 40 hours a week rather than 30 or 20. And do those funds cover your tuition and your stipend? How does yeah, that work? The, the university covers my tuition and my health insurance. And then I get paid some on top of that but it's not near as much as I made at the Boeing company, which makes me a little sad. I look forward to making more money again one day. <laughs> yeah, Pavi and Asad, what about, um, what about the two of you? Uh, yeah, so after my master's program, I decided not to do a PhD without funding because that's when I got to know that grad school could be funded mm -hmm. and paying off student loans was no fun. Sometimes it could even restrict the kind of job you would take later. So uh, I definitely like applied to grad school thinking like I'm only going to go into grad school if I get promised funding, at least for the first few years. UW has guaranteed funding uh, again in bioengineering for four years. I think it's up to five years along with the rotational program. But then once you lock into a lab, your PI is the one who's going to pay you your stipend and she's he or she is going to be like the person who is going to take care of you financially. So that's a good conversation to ask your PI before you accept offer. Do you have enough funding to cover me? I really had that conversation uh, during my rotation to both uh, Professor Yastan and Professor Arspan. Since both of them were starting up, funding was not an issue and they were really looking forward to hiring more grad students and expanding their lab. But for a PhD program, I would definitely recommend to only go for it when it's funded, mainly because PhD could be a lot of stress already because you are going to work on something that's not been done before. There's a lot of mental effort that you already put in. Adding financial stress on top of it could be a lot. So thinking about the financial aspects before you accept a program would really save you up a lot of stress in future. And I also want to talk about um, Seattle and my other admit was in California, which was again too expensive. I was not sure if the stipend that I would get here would be enough to cover my expenses, but I think it's a decent stipend when you try to stay in a uh, studio apartment or like share rooms. Seattle is a very expensive city uh, to live, so you, you can get through with the stipend, but it won't be like a royalty life <laughs> for the lack of a better word. So definitely you have to plan for finance, like if you're going to grad school in a big established city. One more thing I wanted to add is I'm an international student. So I'm naturally not eligible for a lot of fellowships to apply. So there are a very limited number of fellowships that I can apply. 
and those fellowships are super competitive. We are talking about like 700 applica applicants and 10 of them getting funded. The odds are like really low. So I had this conversation again with my PI initially, like I don't have that many fellowships that I can apply to. So you have to be able to fund me. Yeah, I kind of want to emphasize some of the things Pavi mentioned, especially, you know, talking with the my potential PI about funding was one of the things I also did in my rotation. To be frank, I don't think I would have done the whole PhD thing if it wasn't entirely funded. I'm pretty lucky that my program, my stipend and my tuition is covered through uh, funding. There's different ways to cover potential like holes in like funding or tuition and so forth. Yeah, that's good to know. Um, and I think what Pavi said about fellowships is important to keep in mind as well. There are fellowships out there that exist. Some of them are eligible for international students, some of them not. Um, some of them have other kind of requirements, but in terms of looking for grad school, you know, thinking about the funding that's available and then thinking about trying to find fellowships, those can both of those things are really important. So to kind of wrap up, uh, looking back on your application, thinking way back when, is there anything that you would have done differently? Or is there anything you wish somebody had told you beforehand? I wish someone told me the two-way interview process. I was constantly stressed about proving myself, showing myself in good light. I, I forgot to look for the right keys. Um, thankfully, I got to do that in my rotation, but for programs that don't have a rotation, it's really important to get to know the lab and faculty before signing up for a five years of that. It's a two-way interview process. You interview the lab and they interview you. I wish I knew that. Yeah, I think I forgot about that as well. That's, that's an important tip. This is coming in large part from applying to three places and having failed. What I would have changed specifically is I wish I hadn't tied my identity to being accepted to a school. That was a really bad idea. What I told a graduate student that I was meeting with one-on-one -on -one as she was joining the program, when she asked the question similar to this, I really encouraged her, make sure you know where you get your worth from, where you get your value from before you engage in a PhD. Good to have a firm foundation coming into a long, hard, arduous process. It's, it's good to know that beforehand. In the three years that it took between when I did my first application for my second application, I got to think about that. Like, where does my value come from? And then it wasn't going to be as a hard of a hit if I didn't get accepted the second time I applied. I did get accepted, but it would have been okay if I hadn't been. I kind of want to piggyback off of that um, from a different perspective. So as I alluded to before, actually, I kind of went straight into a PhD program from undergrad. One of the things I feel like I kind of regret that I did not do is take that gap year and sort of establish who I am like outside of science. Because when you've been doing school basically your whole life, it really starts to be a bit much when you don't have much of a break. I do wish that I taken that time to sort of explore like different possibilities while knowing that in a year from now, I have a research program to get into and I'll be there for five years. I feel like I kind of missed out a little bit. I guess it'll be over soon now. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm trying to find the things that um, beyond science that make you happy. I think that's that's really important advice to think about all of that. And with that, 
I am going to thank all of our amazing panelists for joining us today and giving all of this great advice on applying to grad school. Um, we really appreciate hearing from you and hearing your guys' perspectives and experiences. And we thank you both very much for putting this on. It's been a great opportunity for us. We've really enjoyed it. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. <laughs> thank you. This podcast was produced by the Neurotech Student Club at the University of Washington. Hosted by Manishka Maduri, Manju Anand, and Zoe Steiny Hansen. Edited by Michael Nolan. Music by Asad Beck. Cover art by Pavithra Rajeshwaran.